I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, or what I'm doing here, or what this place is about, but I am determined to enjoy it. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. Ready to go, Doc? Oh, yes, yes, my dear fellow. I'll just check the gyroscopes. Hello, and welcome back to the Appendix N Book Club. This is episode 62 on Gardner F. Fox's Kothar and the Demon Queen. My name is Jeff, and with me today is that barbarian swordsman, Hoy. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And we are also joined today by special guest, Elizabeth Chipradit-Kuhn. She is the prolific and prodigious author of many RPG supplements, adventures. Uh, She has written... Afterlife Wandering Souls, She Bleeds, and many others. She is also the creator of Angry Hamster Publishing and a contributor to Tiny Dungeons and Star Trek Adventures, amongst many others. Um, Liz, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to speak about Kothar. (laughs) <laughs> we are too. Thank you, Liz, for coming on. So we often like to start by asking people that um, that old go-to question, which is, how did you get into role-playing games? Uh, I actually got into role-playing games through form role-playing. Um, my mom had a copy of like 3, 3.5, no, 3.5. Um, but I didn't really like, I, sorry, Dungeons and Dragons for anybody who is not familiar. <laughs> um, but I didn't, I didn't really pay much heed to like the book or anything like that. So I really started role-playing through form role-playing online. Um, and then Neverwinter Nights came out, which was an online video game where you could actually role-play on servers and they were using 3.5 edition D&D as well. Um, and through that, I got into like the hardcore, like dice rolling role-play games, because I was like, wait, this is awesome. You can do this in real life. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And what was your experience like reading fantasy fiction? I read a lot of fantasy fiction. Um, so I think like going into role play games was very natural for me. Um, obviously, I think as many of us, or maybe not, but like my, one of my first fantasy books was The Hobbit. My mom read it to me when I was a kid. Um, and then Narnia, The Chronicles of Narnia. I know that's mm-hmm. not like traditional traditional fantasy in the sense of like sword and sorcery but like that was one of the first uh first fantasy books i read i read as well um and i haven't stopped like i love fantasy books and you know also like you know all the young adult fantasy and stuff like i'm in it i'm there any mm-hmm. new book that comes out, I'm very happy to read it. Right now, I am enjoying the Mistborn series. So oh, Nice. Okay. And are you aware of the Appendix N uh, as a thing? I knew about it as a thing, but I have never like read into it. I never looked it up. And then when uh, Jeff contacted me about reading, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Like, like that was a thing. And... I was surprised that someone was reading through the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are ourselves sometimes as well, yeah, exactly. surprised that we're working our way through this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, had you done much, I mean, you mentioned The Hobbit. Had you done much reading of fantasy fiction that was written before, say, 1980? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. No. Totally a fair answer. No, not at all. Like, I, I think... I don't even know. When was The Hobbit written? I have no idea, but I think that's probably one of the oldest things I read. Wrote, read. Yeah, 1936 for the original version, and I think it was revived um, in the 50s. Yeah. Okay. Have, okay. have you, through the process of your, you know, your gaming career, had any opportunity to go back to older fiction for any reason, or is this still you know, a, a sort of a, a blank? 
unexplored terrain for you. It's totally an unexplored terrain. I think the genre of fantasy has moved forward in so many ways. Uh, Not, not, I don't mean like maybe like in plot line progression and stuff like that, but I mean like inclusivity um, and things like that. So I think like once I, once I was older and I, I got to kind of choose what I wanted to read, it wasn't things like Kothar because like I wanted to like read about a cool woman kicking ass and mm-hmm. things like that. Sure. So that I, I immediately went into the more modern genre. And I think I just kind of stayed there because I was like, this is awesome. Why right, not? Right, right. Sure. We only have so many hours of the day. And I'm very much like you, Liz, in the sense that um, when I started this project with Hoy, Hoy had read quite a bit of this stuff, but I had read very little. I had read the Lord of the Rings trilogy I think like a couple of Conan stories and maybe a couple of HP Lovecraft stories. And I think that was just about all I had read. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Like Conan, I guess, but like the, Co- the Co- Conan comics, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That counts, you know what I mean? Sure. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and start chatting about our version of the book we're reading. I've got this uh, 1973 paperback from Leisure Books and we've got an un, um, an unnamed artist who worked on the cover. We've got this blonde barbarian pulling out a sword. He's fighting a long white snake monster, which I'm guessing is probably the swamp monster. And then we've got the demon queen down below. Mm-hmm. And because it's leisure books, it's also got a fold out cigarette ad in the center uh-huh, of the book. Nice. Oh my gosh, amazing. Uh, nice and classy. And also a bunch of um, ads for other books published by leisure books, which Hoy and I have discussed when we read Kothar before. But, you know, it's a lot of like a uh, cherry delight part two, the sex executioner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So real, real, real classy literature being put out by Leisure Books. Boy, which version are you working with? I am reading the ebook of the um, the the Gardner Fox Library. So Kurt Bruegel's version of it. I know there's also one on Wildside, which has like the first three books, but this is just the uh, ebook single volume. And which one are you reading, Liz? I'm also. I think I'm reading one from the Gardner Fox Library. And it was reprinted by Amazon. I was so happy I could get it. When you, I, I immediately said yes to this podcast before I was sure I could get the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I honestly think that Amazon just like went to a printer, print on demand printer, and printed up a bunch of copies of this because it's very, it's very sad inside. It looks like it was made on Word. <laughs> I don't have any of the sexy ads. <laughs> it does have that nice picture of Gardner Fox in there, though. It does. I mean, it's like it's nicely illustrated. And on the cover, I think I have uh, Kendara, the Demon Queen. At least mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's her. She looks really angry. Or it's Kothar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So before we dive into the library, let's take a look at our Hygaxian word of the day. Noisome. Noisome. And noisome was found, I, I noticed it is listed in, in at least three different places in the text. But the first place that I encountered it was on page 15 of my edition. And it says the beast moved its head from side to side, questing for that elusive scent. Tiring of its pastime, it moved on through the noisome swamps, feet lifting from the mud and water with those loud squelching sounds. And noisome means having an extremely offensive smell. So go. that is our Hygaxian word of the day. So now we can head on into the library. And um, yeah, I guess, Liz, what did you think of Kothar and the Demon Queen? Um, well, okay. <laughs> One of my favorite movies uh, growing up was Cole the Conqueror, 
with Kevin Sorbo and Tia Carey. Does anybody, do, do mm-hmm. any of you know that movie? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love that movie with a passion. I just wanted to be Tia Carey. And I'm not sure if that's because I wanted to make out with Kevin Sorbo. It was a whole thing. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> like, so as an ode to like this book, like I, I enjoyed the book and the plot line because of like the demon queen and everything. And and like, I thought there were some really cool plot twists in it that I didn't necessarily expect, or like, I thought that this would be a very straightforward adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when there were a couple of plot twists, I was like, oh, that's cool. You know what I mean? Like I was like, credit to Gardner Francis Fox. Um and yeah, it's very much a piece of its time. That was my initial. <laughs> <laughs> and Hoy, what was your initial take on Kothar and the Demon Queen? Um, I think it is in of a you know of a piece with the other Kothar books we've, we've read, which is it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's mm-hmm. almost like uh, Gardner Fox is like, "Oh, you want barbarians? I'll give you barbarians. Here you go." You know, <laughs> right? Um, but as always, even though the um, like Kothar is like the most simple character in the book. Generally, he's always hungry. I always notice that. That's pretty funny. Um, but it's always the side characters are more interesting, and usually the villainous. So in this case, Kendara, she's very interesting, right? You know, she's definitely villainous, but she's she's kind of fun. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that there's that, and then there's always liches, right? There's always in every book of his, it's liches, right? so, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a woman lich in this one. Yeah. So, right? So, um, yeah, I think it's fun. I think it um, it stands alone. I mean, it makes some references to some of the things that have happened in the earlier books, but it doesn't, you know, try to drag you down with that. So you could just, you know, plop into the right, you know, this book. And it's probably how most people found it in the 70s. You know, like a few people might have found the first two books, but you probably went into, you know, the corner drugstore and said, oh, Kothar, that was cool. Let me, mm-hmm. you know, let me read this. Completely disposable, but very enjoyable is how I would put it. Yeah, absolutely. I I had such a blast reading this. You know, I feel like the Kothar stories in general, when I was first looking at the appendix and list and I just saw Kothar, Barbarian, Swordsman, I just like rolled my eyes and I'm like, oh God, this is going to be bad. And like, you know, the way I liken it is I'm a huge fan of horror movies. And one like horror movie I love is Shaun of the Dead. And I love Shaun of the Dead because like, it's a legitimately like it's a good horror film, but it's also like totally laughing at the genre, having a great time, doesn't take itself too seriously. And I feel like that's where like Gardner F. Fox really succeeds and that he's he's very good at taking um, taking a story, like not taking it too seriously, but still having fun with it and still crafting something interesting from it. Um, I, I agree with you, Liz, that like the the plot twists I thought were for, for the most part pretty effective especially how given how a lot of these authors are really just churning this stuff out a lot of this a lot of the products we end up with are usually just like first drafts that are then printed it's pretty impressive how much stuff that was introduced in the first few pages are then paid off in the last few pages you know with the um with the with the giant monster in the swamp um mm-hmm. being something that Kothar is hiding from from the hi- hiding from in the very beginning, and right. then he uses that to his advantage in the end. Right. Um, very clever stuff, I thought. Right. There's like three wizards, right? Three, four wizards, two demons, and they all have their own agendas, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Liz, did you have any um, particular things that like, particular favorite characters or, or you know, out of those plot twists? Did any of them were like, whoa, I did not see that coming at all? Well, I like, so I like Kendara. I thought she was, like you said, like she was cool. Like I, in the, in general, like the end fight also, like I really enjoyed, like I liked the whole like, 
wait, can we spoil this book? I'm not sure. sure. Absolutely. 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 I, was, I was like, we're talking about it like a book club. So I don't know if we can, but like, you know, like when, when his spirit got switched with the mage and I, I like, I was like that, that's awesome. Like that, right. that was very cool. And I, I wasn't expecting that. So that was like a favorite moment of mine. Like just in general, the end fight, I'm like, okay, he's going to go there. He's going to, Kendara is like this big badass woman, but he's going to defeat her easily. And that totally wasn't the case. So that mm-hmm. was, and I like how she got in her like magic. Come, ah, How do you say that? Like she got in her magical revenge. So I was waiting her for her to pull something awesome, right? Because like the first time she meets him, she's just like, "Oh no, let's make out." And then I was like, "Yeah, but like do something awesome, Kendara. Do some demon queen stuff." Um, so when she finally like gets him under her spell, I was, I was really rooting for her. I'm the type right. of person who roots for the monsters, so like. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and even when I was a kid, I was obsessed with the He-Man cartoons. But my favorite character was always, um, oh, and I'm forgetting her name. Was it was was she, was Evil Lynn on He-Man, or was that one of the the GI Joe characters? It was the Baroness was in GI Joe, right? Okay, so it's Evil Lynn. Yeah, yeah, Evil Lynn was always my favorite character on He-Man as a kid. I just always thought like the, like the the female villains were always my favorites. Yeah. That's, uh, and uh, yeah, like, and I also, I kind of liked, like, Kothar somehow, what I like about these barbarian comics, and I think it's kind of like a theme that runs through, is like, these guys are always so disgruntled. Like, they are, they are the guy who, like, works in the cubicle nowadays. You know, he's like, (laughs) all I want to do is, like, become king of this place with my demon queen and be able to retire. Like, that's all Kothar wants. And I'm sure if I read other books of Kothar, like, this would be a reoccurring thing for Kothar. Um, so I very much appreciate that because he spoke to the office worker in me who's just like, you know, I just want my paycheck. I want to go home. I want to retire at 60. You know? I just want to take Felicia to the castle. By the way, is her name Felicia? Like, that's how I was pronouncing it. it I'm very bad with names. Phyllis something. Yeah, it's like P-H-I-L-I-S-I-A. And I was just pronouncing it Felicia in my mind. I think that's Felicia. It's like all of our 16-year-old like first characters. Like her name's Felicia, but I'm gonna spell it fancy. Um, I like how he's still under the curse where he supposedly can never have any treasure but the sword. So he's like, hmm, if I marry this queen and I'm the king. All the stuff actually sort of belongs to her, so I'll be able to keep it, right? <laughs> you know, right? It's like well, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> you know? And I also like that we we never really know for sure whether or not it's that curse that's keeping him from having treasure that is ultimately working against him, or if it just is the plot that's working against him. Right. You know, because ultimately he doesn't get any of those things. But right. is it because of the curse? Or is it because that's just how the things played out? Right, right. And also, he liked that he's got this magical sword that's like really not very magical at all, other than when it's chopping down that door, right? Like, yeah. You know? like yeah, it's, it's the same thing with Kandara. You're also waiting for Frostfire to do something. I'm like, do something, Frostfire. Do something awesome. <laughs> Frostfire's like, I'll just take a back seat. <laughs> yeah and i was fully expecting Frostfire to be like the only thing that could harm the demon and it's like nope they nope. also can't even hurt a demon right, right. <laughs> well, they, also, they had a like a moment with uh um with one of the one of the demons where they were like no living man can hurt me and i was like is this a lord of the rings moment a, like i am no man i was like waiting for like the lich to be like i am no living man but, <laughs> no no <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know but then i got too deep into geekdom. right right <laughs> i did like how he had to wrestle that demon though and he's like oh you know my grandfather my adoptive grandfather told me that a fish can actually drown right and he's like wrestling it and it can't breathe out through its gills and he ties it up you know it's like but, 
Was that totally something? Was that though, like the author showing through in the book? That's totally like something Gardner must have like learned. Oh yeah, when he knew, and he's like, "This is an interesting factoid. I am going to use in fiction." Oh, (laughs) without a doubt, he has. He supposedly had like a a private library of like two thousand, three thousand reference books, and you know he was writing. I think he wrote something like one hundred and fifty odd some novels under different under different titles. In fact, one of those uh, softcore ones that Jeff mentioned was one of his. And so he would write softcore novels and crime novels and historical novels under all these pen names. Yeah, like the, and he wrote The Lady from Lust, L-U-S-T. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's like the man from Uncle, but it's The right. Lady from Lust. Right. But, um, but Liz, you're exactly right. He would always kind of slip in this little extra factoid, like, here, Grandpa Fox will tell you something interesting. You know? <laughs> right. I think that's amazing. Like, I, I appreciate that. Like he was making like prototype Easter eggs in his in his novel. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he's always got some weird like he uses that word hackathon, or we'll put a like Chalcedony, like a little fancy word in there, just to, like, hey, you know, Kothar's dumb, but I'm no dummy, you know. I, I I really appreciated in this book how he like described people. I wish I, I wish I highlighted some of the like I don't know like the man flesh and stuff like that. Like I think like you know he he has. He has to describe everyone so many times that you can tell that he at one point is like, how am I going to describe this? And he just goes into like woman, like her womanly, this womanly swing of her hips. And like at one point you really get into his descriptions of everybody um, and you're waiting for all his all the adjectives that he's going to use. And I really enjoyed that. Like, yeah, her hips swung lazily, challengingly as she moved past the barbarian it's like it's amazing like, <laughs> yeah and also just like the 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 kind of cheap erotica like here um she stiffened in outraged pride but she sensed his manhood of the big barbarian and her femininity responded to it it's like oh god <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad it's good like i it, it is it's just it's good I, right, I, right. Now I'm very curious about the lady from Lust, you know? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so as un-PC and uh, even potentially regressive as is, I don't, I mean, speaking from my standpoint, I don't find it particularly offensive just because it's so tongue-in-cheek. But what is your take on this kind of stuff there, Liz? I mean, like, I think you have to read it for its time, right? Like, so I'm just like, yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't find it offensive. Like, I think if you wrote it now, it'd be very offensive. Mm-hmm. Um. But like, yeah, it's regressive and it's kind of stupid, but like you can enjoy it, right? Like, I mean, I also kind of, I always imagine when these things are written, it's kind of like Kothar isn't like that bright. Right. <laughs> so I imagine it kind of being written from his point of view. Like it's almost like what's in his mind when he thinks right. about things like that. So like, yeah, I mean, like you have to read it for its time and just enjoy the story because if you read it knowing you're going to be offended, like when, when I was like Kothar and the Demon Queen, I'm like, I knew what I was getting when I read it, right? So right, like, right. then you, then you should read it to enjoy the book, basically. Right, cause... right, right. I think I always liken Kothar almost to be a little bit like Daffy Duck. He just like gets into situations and they get worse and they get worse and he kind of bounces out of them somehow, but he never ends up better off. So <laughs> No, no, yeah. I'm reading right now and like, again, on the topic of like offensive books, um, I'm reading Cerebus. Uh, sure. Dave Sam. Yeah. Um, it's basically, it's, uh, it's about, it's a comic. It's a very, very large comic series um, about an aardvark who's a barbarian and it's Kothar, it's Conan. Oh, oh yeah. I'm sorry. I know. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and, it, and it has like the same type of tropes in it. Of course, at one point it gets very blatantly offensive. Right. 
Right, right. Um, the series? Just goes crazy like about halfway through the series and just becomes like total misogynist you know right yeah 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 but like at like at, in like the first book or two he has similar type characters like he has a he has a red sonia type character um and it's obviously like poking fun at the genre and done t- tongue-in-cheek and then you're like okay well you know that's fine yeah it's like when you when you read the scenes where like kothar grabs kendara the demon queen and she's like fighting him at first and protesting but then by the end she like gives into his kisses and like it's this like passionate embrace like clearly you know this is stuff that like as liz said like if you wrote it today it would be a big it would be a big problem because like nowadays we know better like this is uh, perpetuating rape culture stuff if we're writing that today. But also, like, we also understand that, like, our understanding of these things really has evolved over time. Um, so I think going back and reading this stuff, you do need to have some context for it. Um, but I, I also agree that because it's it's so campy and so over the top that, like, it's, it's I don't know, it, it, it can still be kind of silly. I don't know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, one like, thing. I, go ahead. I was, no, sorry. I, I was just saying. Like, I, I think the same thing. Like, when I read that, I'm like, "Ooh, we need to have a conversation with Kothar about consent." But then yeah. I was also just like, "But she's a demon, so she could probably bite his head off." You know right. what I mean? Like, <laughs> like yeah, you have to give it a couple of excuses. Right. Now, I had the exact same thought, but like, exact, and then I'm like, "Oh no, she's this is not um, PC, but it's a little bit of game playing between the two of them, and she's actually got she knows exactly what she's doing in that particular scene, mm-hmm. um, and." I think most of Fox's female characters are fairly intelligent, which is actually uh, kind of a, a change of pace from some of the others. Um, just like we were talking the other week about the um, the female characters in Conan the Adventurer, who are, as uh, Agatha said, baby dolls. Right here, they're they've got agendas going on. Even the supposedly helpless woman um, Felicia, what, what we're going to call her Felicia, she kind of knows <laughs> like she knows like the caverns. She knows like what's going on in the city. She says, "No, you really should go this way, you know, and do this because." And, you know, she has an understanding of what's going on in that town um, so that they've got some wheels turning, which is not always the case in Swords and Sorcery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah, Felicia. Ex- exactly. Like, I also think like that scene with the Demon Queen would have been so different if it was like a scene with Felicia, um, like as a modern reader. Right. right. Like, because then like it's not like, oh, it's a Demon Queen who could actually kick his ass if she wanted to. But if he if he did that with Felicia, so I mean, like maybe Fox did have some sort of like, I don't know sense of that you know what i mean mm-hmm. like he, he he chose not to do that with felicia right and it would have been mm-hmm. very easy for him to add in some type of scene like that with her as well mm-hmm. uh and i also think you're totally right liz about the part where you're saying that it, it very much feels like it's from the perspective of kothar <laughs> and like these these scenes were like like he like grabs the woman and he kisses her hard and like it reminds me of the way that like 18 year olds think that they're supposed to kiss when they're being passionate <laughs> you know it's like the, that like really like awkward like intense like fumbling that like people think that they're doing what young people think passion is and like that's not actually fun for anybody involved but like since we're reading it from kothar's perspective he thinks he's being like quite the lothario when he's Mm -hmm. doing things like this (laughs) 
yeah 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 no i i i totally think so like this must be written from his perspective like also because the way he talks about himself and everything like the way kothar is spoken about you know what i mean like he is the most impressive and he is so buff and he is going to kick ass and like you just totally imagine like he's at a tavern telling this story to everybody and this is the way he tells it and how it actually turned out is just very different (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like we need to write like a um kothar behind the music like we like show what really Really happened. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, even so, though, he does have his moments where he where he kind of realizes where the you know he's out of his depth, right? Like, oh, I'm wrestling, you know, I'm fighting the um, the two arm the two axe warrior, and he's much stronger than I am. Oh, this is like you know, this is terrible. It's shameful. I might lose to this guy, right? And you know, and then he has to be a little smarter. Or when he's fighting um, in the fog with all the troops from the other city, and he's like, oh, I can't beat twelve guys, right? I got unless I back up against this rock, right? So he. He has these moments where sort of reality actually intrudes and it's like, yeah, I'm the baddest of the bad, but I'm not superhuman, you know, which I don't think like, like Conan never has any doubt, right? Whereas Kothar mm-hmm. has a little bit of doubt. So that's kind of, that's kind of cool. And I think that might be, um, Gardner Fox was older as a writer by this point. I think he was probably in his fifties when he was writing this, you know, whereas Conan is a young man's writing. Mm-hmm. And, um, on top of that, I just wanted to also, among the other things that Gardner Fox wrote, he wrote a lot of uh, sort of gothic romances too under his other pseudonyms. And so I think he had experience writing women characters and stuff that is nominally for women. Um, so I think he could put himself in the minds of different characters with uh, some ease compared to some of the other pulp writers that we've seen. That makes sense. And it's like in that scene where he ends up um, raising up Awold the Wise and uh, and those and the and the and the ten other the, the nine others. So the ten of them in total, along with Kothar make eleven, they're they're laying siege upon Kor. And he's saying, like, oh, well, they're actually immune to weapons. They can't be hurt. Like, perhaps I should fight carefully. And then he says, By Dwalka, he had never fought carefully in his life. He was not about to begin now. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I also love those moments because it's totally like you think like because this is like obviously inspired a role play game. You also think like as a player, you're this. It's like the same way. It's like, well, I could be careful, or I could just <laughs> go in with frostfire and just see what happens. Right. You know right. I mean? like, right. Exactly. It's you know. the whole like, do I use the ten foot pole? Uh, and like knock on every uh, every five step and like right. search every, or do I just open the, the open the door and get the adventure going? Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, what are we playing for otherwise, right? So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think there's yeah, I think it's it's of a piece of his works. I I'm uh, I'd be interested in some of his other series, like if we ever get to the Kyrix series, which I think was um like four or five years after this series, you know, if he had a different take on it. But I think Kothar is both a sort of um as you say, sort of acknowledgement of the genre, but also a sort of wink at the genre of sword and sorcery. But yeah, Hoy, our first Kyrick is going to be on episode 119, <laughs> which um, if we stick with our current schedule, we'll be recording in February of 2022. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, Liz, this is a, we have 290 proposed episodes. So if we finish this project, we'll be, we'll, we'll be recording our last one in October of 2028. Oh, oh, that's gonna be so bittersweet, though. Oh God, I already seen your end. I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm down. I'm listening. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. I was also just thinking, like, because you asked me, like, as as a woman reading this, how do I feel? And I, I was thinking when I read these type of books, I always put myself actually in the seat of someone who, like, like 
I always imagine myself as Kothar. You know what I mean? So like reading it from that way, it's kind of fun because like, yeah, I totally want to go and kiss a demon queen and, and save sultry maiden, you know, like punch a demon in the face. Like that sounds awesome. I I'm, I'm down for that. So I think like <laughs> at least Fox is writing is strong enough that he, as a reader, as a woman, a modern woman, like I immediately get myself into Kothar's plate, like into Kothar's shoes. Um, so that also cuts down kind of the offensiveness of it. Cause I'm imagining myself kissing the demon queen myself you know there you go <laughs> <laughs> you're like kendara will be mine right exactly. <laughs> yeah, will be right, mine. right. <laughs> <laughs> in his big war boots that he's like you know, which he does he's and again it's actually another little acknowledgement of vulnerability right like he doesn't take off his boots because he's it's like he's you know when he's crossing the desert because he's worried he's going to cut up his feet you know so he has some physical vulnerability even though he's like this giant you know man god so, uh, which you never hear again from the Conan stories, right? Conan is definitely an other, and, and Kothar is just a little bit better than everybody. You know? Yeah, and also, like, in the end, too, like, when he's, when he's mind-controlled or body-controlled or whatever we want to call it, he's controlled. Like, he also just, like, when she's just, like, step forward, he's like, okay, I'm going to step forward. You know what I mean? Like, we don't hear him saying, like, thinking 15 steps ahead and being like, oh, I know I'm going to get out of this. He's just like, well, crap. you know and that's that's also very relatable right right (laughs) now one thing that i've said on the show before is i feel like after dungeons and dragons came along and became incredibly popular um it really in my in my opinion um codified a lot of what we consider to be fantasy fiction now um, in fantasy fiction, you need to have like a dragon and an elf and a, and a, and a dwarf, and you need to have a um, you need to be going on an adventure. You're fighting evil. Um, we all kind of agree what a dragon looks like, things like that. Um, and this is like kind of near the end of that pre Dungeons and Dragons fantasy fiction era. But I'm curious, did this feel like you were reading something different than something that would have been written in the post Dungeons and Dragons era? Does that does that question make sense? yeah like i I, i'll let hoy first because he's he's read more i think sure um sure i mean it's not high fantasy right so you know it is swords and sorcery so that is a little bit more grounded than high fantasy um Mm -hmm. he uh kothar is not um completely amoral but he's definitely not a force for good right Mm -hmm. you know he's got his own agenda which is basically filling his belly you know this isn't a battle of good versus evil right right you know in as much as it impinges on him then anything that's opposing him becomes evil. But, uh, you know, if he's, he's, he's fine, like, ah, live and let live most of the time, as long as I can get my, you know, my roast, you know, beef leg and my two loaves of bread and my beer. It's like, oh, I wish I had some beer with this, you know? Um, so um, it's still of the swords and sorcery tradition. It hasn't, uh, as you say, the, the monsters aren't codified. You never really discover like what that beast is. Is it a dinosaur? Is it a dragon? You know, the swamp beast? What is it? Right. Is it a Tarrasque? Is it a Tarrasque? Right. Um, you know, there's liches, but the liches are pre D D liches, right? You know, so yeah, lich just means corpse, right? Pre D D, right? Um, so yeah, I think that there is, uh, it is codified in its within the sword and sorcery realm, but it's not codified mm-hmm. into post D D epic high fantasy. So yeah, totally. I, yeah, I I agree with what he like. 
Hoy makes sense. I'm just nodding. No one can see that, but I'm nodding. <laughs> but now our listeners know that you are nodding, so it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it doesn't like, I also, I thought that was cool that we had like a lich that it wasn't a typical lich because I like, n- besides for the kind of lore reading around liches that I had done for a previous game that I made like I hadn't experienced a lich like this before so I thought that was really cool like at least in the realm of like fantasy books that I've read Mm -hmm. um it was cool not to have someone like hungering after immortality it's just like a woman who kind of got screwed and now she's (laughs) that that was awesome right right and I like how each of the magicians and sort of figures even the demons have their own personality one of the demons has pride it's coming back it's like all it's all it's all PO'd because you know, Kothar like strangled its previous physical form, right? So it's like, oh, I'm going to get you, man. <laughs> you know. And also, one thing I think was kind of an interesting turn on a traditional trope is that oftentimes, um, if there is a quest for youth and beauty, it's often attributed to an evil woman. And in this, like, yes, Queen Kandara does have um the 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 metal god that's keeping her young and youthful but really it's the it's the mage um mindus omthal who's the one who's like the most desperately seeking the the youth and beauty that this machine offers so it's also kind of fun seeing that trope kind of turned on its head Mm -hmm. Mm. i also liked how not everyone was really straightforward evil now that you've brought that up like kandara for example like i didn't find her super evil like at least if we're going for alignment I, i think more neutral than evil you know what I mean? Besides for the fact that we know that she's partially demon in some way. Um, I did, and, and she's an antagonist of Kothar. Like, I'm like, I don't know. She's ruling the land. She seems to be doing a good job. No one's throwing, like, a French Revolution on her. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was kind of cool that, like, basically she is a villain because she's against Kothar rather than, oh, she's mustache-twirling evil. Right, right. I mean, if I had this metal god pre- pre-apocalyptic, you know, scientific device that could let me live a thousand years and, you know, have my pick of, you know, uh, you know, lovers, whatever. Which one of us wouldn't keep one of those in our closet, right? Yeah, why not? Like, <laughs> or, or, or like just give it away to somebody else? I mean, that seems kind of stupid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Now, using this as our transition into more of the role-playing conversation, I'm curious. So let's say you are running a session of either Dungeons and Dragons or any kind of fantasy role-playing game, whatever. And you're, you're the, you're the game master and your players have accepted a quest from somebody who they know is a half demon queen. And she sends them out to go fetch an object and you go through all of these perils. You fetch the object. uh, You come back to the demon queen, you deliver the object to her and she pulls a rope and you fall into a pit and you're almost devoured by a telekinetic, no, by a telepathic plant monster. <laughs> is that fair game, or is that a, um, or is that a cheap trick from the game master? Well, I mean, like if it's my home group, they totally deserve this. <laughs> there were so many things leading up to them getting almost eaten by the plant monster, um, and this was like the least I could do. So like, <laughs> like for if any of my friends ever listen, listen to this thing, like you deserved it. It's not Kendara's fault. Like <laughs> it, it, um, but like I also assume in, in game terms, you would have been able to try to resist falling through yes, this sure. hole. 
So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, fair game. Fair game. Right. Come on. Like, right, there needs right. to be a plot twist. Yeah. <laughs> right. He specifically didn't have to follow her. He was, like, chasing after her, and, you know, she's her womanly, you know, hips swinging side to side, alluringly. <laughs> right. <laughs> she runs, but she runs sexy. <laughs> right. right. Well, then, so here's another thing. It's kind of part of the... Um, the implied treasure was going to be that like he gets to like have sex with the queen Kendara. And, you know, I think in the 1970s and the 1980s and the early days of fantasy role-playing games, when most of the players were probably like young men, I imagine those kinds of plot twists are pretty common. Not plot twists, plot devices are pretty common where you have like a beautiful woman who's like, ooh, if you complete this quest, um, I will be yours. And I'm curious, is there any room for that kind of, um, for that being a potential reward in a modern game? Sex? Yes. I mean, sure. Like okay. I, I, I like I, I think like there must be right. Like sex must be able to be a reward for doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the conversation I think for, for me would come into like what was the intention behind this and why and like if everyone at the table is comfortable with it and if people realize that like that's not a normal not a normal thing. Like for example, like if the barbarian is like I will be king. And we shall have the sex. Um, and like, and you know, we're like, dude, you realize you're being super lecherous right now. Like this. And he's like, yeah, my character's totally gross. I totally expect her to be like offended by this or something. You know what I mean? We're all like, okay, cool. You realize you're being a creep. Let us go with it. You're going to get eaten by a plant monster. You know? <laughs> so I, think, I think it's when you have that out of character um awareness i think mm-hmm. then it then it's interesting right because then you're like okay well actually my character is a creep what does that mean for the story etc cetera, etc cetera, and how maybe mm-hmm. you're going to learn from it for example like i'm sure kothar is not going to learn from this right. Um, <laughs> right. uh, but yeah so that, that would be my answer i don't i'm interested okay. to hear what you guys think you know i don't recall i mean i was younger when i was playing that those were necessarily explicit rewards i mean i wasn't playing with college age players you know when i was playing dnd it's mostly high school junior high school so those weren't you know, things that were on the table. But if we look at throughout history before, you know, there was always people like, oh, do this and you'll be able to marry into the royal family. So it's not an unusual thing. Mm-hmm. And in theory, role-playing games should be able to encompass the entire range of human experience. It's just a question of if the people at the table are comfortable with it and if we can do it in a sort of a responsible way, right? So I think that certainly, as you say, sex as a reward is on the table if it fits the story, if it's the character's, it just has to be done in a way that no one at the table is going to feel like grossed out and saying, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be here, you know. So another uh, reward that was on the table was the crown. So if you're in a game where one of the players could, as a reward, win the crown and become the king of core and be married to Queen Kandara, is that a campaign killer or is that a fun new plot device? I think that's a fun new plot device. 
I think if some if one of my players really wants to go through the thing of becoming a king, are you kidding me? Like, what a pain in the ass is that going to be? Like, try being a king in an adventure. Good luck. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to have, like, the master of coin coming to you. Like, but, sir, we can't have you leave right now. Like, we have knights to slay the dragon. You know what I mean? Like, like Kothar's going to be even more disgruntled than he was before. You'd be like, wait, is responsibility wait like kendara wants me home at a certain time like what the <laughs> hell <laughs> right right i think there's um two ways you could go about that right one is you could um that's sort of the end game uh-huh. uh, um you know like a lot of the traditional D systems you get up to like quote unquote name level ninth tenth level well you know okay so now you're transitioning into the game of running a kingdom and it's a little bit sort of almost troop play where you have like um a, a stable of characters so your king, your character is now the king, and then you switch to your B character, who is like a sergeant at arms, and you start playing them for the for most of the local adventures, the, the mid level adventures. And it's only when you have a big bad threat to the kingdom that you get play the king again, right? Okay. Um, the other thing is you could transition to a little bit more of a um, sort of narrative story game type situation where you you're essentially playing the same character, but it might even be a different system. And now you're doing exactly everything that Liz just talked about, playing being at the court. Right, it's a it's either a palate cleanser session or just an entirely different game. I don't know, but um, all those complications of being at the king at court and um, what's that Robin Laws game? I think that would be really good for it. The the one where it's um, sort of like petition those petitioners and granters. Um, it's one of the Pelgrim games. I forget the name of it, but oh, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of what is um, Hillfolk. Hillfolk. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that that would be an interesting system maybe to play out that kind of level with uh, of play with. Um, but again, it depends on what, what your players are interested in and where they want to go. I also think that Kothar really like this, like the fact that he can't have any treasure, for example, like really speaks to like the heart of adventurers. Like sure you can become king, but how long is your GM actually going to let you be king of this kingdom? Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so there is a world where you're like king for a day, you right. know, like sure <laughs> you did it. Right. Right. Kandara didn't trick you. You're king. <laughs> right. Now here's the next thing. And then like you could totally go into some type of plot line, like trying to regain your kingdom after it's sacked by somebody right. or something like that. Right, right. And, and um, you know, he, he joins the guard under false pretenses and it's only even one night. Like, right? You know, like he beats he beats the other guy. Oh, that's a great scene though. He fights the older, the older soldier, the, the guy who's like the sergeant at arms, and then um like knocks him out. But um but then the character's like, hey, you know. <laughs> welcome at least you're a real fighter right um but yeah there, there's always these things and in fact it's explicitly written in a lot of original D, right like you know a paladin can only have what he can carry on his horse you know a ranger can only carry what they physically can carry on their person and in order to keep the game going as long as possible now liz looking at the appendix and list there are many of the people who are on the list it's just the name of an author there are no specific books or fictional series that are being recommended it's just like hey check out this author's work with gardner f fox though um kothar is specifically cited as something that inspired dungeons and dragons and that gary and co recommend that you read for inspiration so while reading this did you see anything that you're like oh yes i can totally see that like this is this is very D D. Well, I mean, like, I think the general setup of, for example, like when he, he fights a fish demon, like that, like, it's just <laughs> an adventure within itself, right? Like, yeah, he, he can conv- like, like, um, like Hoy said, he can conv- within a day, he becomes a member of the guard. <laughs> <laughs> AKA within a four hour session, your GM needs to get stuff done. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he goes on, you know, he, he goes on the battlements. 
he goes down, he kicks this fish guy's butt. There's a minor plot twist for the fish guy. And okay, because it's a super powerful demon, we're not going to let you really kill it, but you kind of killed it. Here's some reward. Um, so I, that was very d and I right. mean, the yeah. only thing that I find totally not d and at all or that like is that this guy is not a first level character. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's like fifth level, sixth level, somewhere in there. And, uh, yeah, I know. Like we don't start out like this. Right. Right. I mean, there's trapdoors, for God's sake, when he's chasing after Kandara, right? <laughs> right? <You know? laughs> it's literally like a Looney Tunes trapdoor. <laughs> yeah, I almost see like the little cloud, you know, when like when Wiley Coyote falls off the cliff, and whoosh, like that, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very d and I think, in the sort of um, like, oh, here's a thing, just go with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like, like here's some, here's enough story that you don't necessarily need to be interested in, but we'll get you into the adventure because we're not going to tell you any more about it. Why is the demon down there? Like, what's his story? Why is he so, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of questions you have that you kind of hand wave off um, when reading this story, which also plays into like a quick session of D&D as well, where there's like all this lore that you're never really going to get to touch unless your character is like, no, I want to know all of this. <laughs> you know? So Liz, if you wanted to play kind of a Kothar style game where it's super sword and sorcery with loads of demon summoning and making packs with demons and things like that, is Dungeons and Dragons the best system for that? Or would you go somewhere else for that? No, nah, I, I, w- I wouldn't. At least, well, okay. Hmm. This is a multifaceted question. <laughs> uh, no, like, the thing is, is, like, I think you can play D&D in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. And how I played D&D when I was younger is so different than how I play D&D now, or maybe, like, what d And I don't know if that's because I've gotten older, or if that's just what D&D is involved into. Like, I also think that a lot of, like, fourth edition um, style of play where you they got really big into Living Forgotten Realms kind of killed a little bit of the campaign aspect of, of D&D, I would say. I'm sorry for people who really love fourth edition. <laughs> um, so, like, I would say, like, depending on the edition of D&D, I would do something like this. Um, and maybe fifth edition is also getting back to that as well. But like for like summoning demons and making in-depth packs and like kind of going through all this stuff, like I don't really know if D&D would be the best game for it. Um, just be- just because of the, the the adventure style of it and the fact that I think this type of th- this type of story really focuses on Kothar and a lot of D&D adventures nowadays focus on the larger overarching story. Whereas mm-hmm. Kothar really is the driving the driving force behind all of this, uh, which is cool. Do you have experience with any fantasy role-playing games that you think would do a better job of of emulating a game that's more like, um, emulating a game, a play style that's more kind of sword and sorcery and loaded with demon summoning? Sword and, yeah, that's very hard because like, for example, loaded with demon summoning, like that is like the first game that I wrote, Witch Faded Souls. I'm not trying to plug my own game. <laughs> no, please do. Please do. Um, but basically, you play a person who sold their soul for a demon for power, uh, to a demon for power. Um, and in order to level, you have to resummon your demon and keep making deals with them. Um, so that, But that's built into the game mechanically. Um, and I don't know a swords and sorcery game that does that. I know other like kind of modern fantasy games that do that, but I couldn't put my finger on another game that really like writes them into the story like that um, in mm-hmm. a high fantasy setting. So what, what what inspired you to create a rule system for that? Well, I like another reason why I, I liked Kothar and the Demon Queen is that like it's very focused on uh, Kothar 
And I really like focusing on my player stories. So like the overarching story always inevitably goes back to my players and what they're doing. Um, and so I wanted a system in which players could have their own epic story because eventually your goal as a witch or a warlock in Witch Faded Souls is to either break free from your demon um, or to become kind of as bad as your demon yourself. Um, so that's what motivated me to build that uh, the, those mechanics into the game that kind of facilitated that. So like anytime you get a new power, anytime you kind of want to do something that you might not be able to do, you can always summon your demon and ask it for assistance. And it may come to you and tell you to do things as well. Is that game, uh, your game designed for sort of troop play or is it more sort of smaller, maybe two or three players at a time in terms of how you address, you know, the play at the table? Uh, like normally, yeah, for like five five players or so, like, three to five players is like kind of the sweet spot. I always like mm -hmm. damning for four. It's very mm -hmm. weird. <laughs> um, yeah, because you also, so besides for that, the besides for this uh, personal story you go on, you also have your coven. And so the coven are your adventuring group basically, and like who support you and things like that. Um, you know, sort of what I'm sort of building on is again, a lot of, uh, you know, current fiction has larger sort of protagonist groups. And that's probably a reflection of, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, but obviously, you know, Lord of the Rings was the original adventuring party in some ways. Um, but a lot of sword and sorcery is like a single protagonist, maybe with a sidekick. And so there's not a lot of games right now that successfully emulate that kind of play. Um, no. And, no. And to be able to design a game that, you know, you can play with a game master and maybe two other players, I think is, a, you know, um, a challenge that hasn't been met yet in, in general sense. It's, I really like not plug a different podcast on your podcast I'm sorry. no please do um have you have you guys listened to party of one podcast i'm not no. yet okay it's really cool like uh so jeff the host of that he plays all his games with just him and a game master um so you get all these games that were created kind of for a larger party for like five or six people and then you get the gms running them for uh yeah, for just him and another person. It's very interesting to see how those games morph into smaller game. And I've, I've never heard him run anything like D&D, but like, for example, I run, I ran Witch for him and other players with like kind of party like games have done that as well. And it's, it's cool to see how that they, how they get smaller and how the play goes as well, because it's, it's very different. It's more mm -hmm. in a way because it's just you and another person talking for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And I know like, for example, um, there was the, the uh, solo, um, not solo, but game master and single player, like the Pelgrain uh, Gumshoe one to one. Um, so you can play, you know, a single private eye as opposed to a party of Cthulhu investigators. And so I think that I think that's going to be a direction of some game development in the next few years because always it's always hard to get a group together, right? At the same time. And so I think there's going to be some some of that area of development. For sure. Oh, that's so. Like, so it's like a Cthulhu-like game, but you have to play it by yourself. So you have to like go mad all by yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, it question. I don't know. Awesome. The, I, yeah, I think what the you know the modifications are like more like you'll you'll faint and you'll wake up rather than like you'll go totally insane until like the final scene, right? So uh, okay. again, I'm you know uh, I don't know what exactly all the tweaks are, but I know that you're more likely to get knocked out than killed. You know that kind of stuff. So it emulates sort of classic private eye fiction, you know, where the yeah. guy always gets cocked on the head with a blackjack and he wakes up and he's got a little bit of a headache and he's fine later, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, um, I was like, that could get so dark. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> right, right. Um, but I can see, for example, again, a sword and sorcery game kind of, you know, trying to figure that out 
try to figure that out to make that work. And then I think that would have to be a little bit more sort of open-ended than traditional D&D to allow the protagonist to do more things that are not restricted by their specific class or a list of skills on a sheet, right? Say, oh, I want to climb a hill and do this, you know. Yeah, that'd also be cool because it gives you more of the opportunity to be slightly more epic, right? Like if you get to be this Kothar, Conan type person, because normally when you start out, you're kind of sucky. But like in a one person kind of driven story, you have that ability to, because all all the spotlights on you and you don't have other players to kind of balance with, like that'd be cool. All right. We got to get your big brain on that one, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing that I think is pretty common in sword and sorcery and a lot of these, um, a lot of other fiction from this era is like oftentimes the first time you meet an adventurer, they're already an incredibly capable adventurer. And by the end, they're still kind of just as capable. I mean, sometimes you see emulations um, of leveling up in the fiction, but I think more often than not, it starts off as a badass character and it ends with a badass character. Do you do you feel like you can have a role playing game um, where, in the long run, it can be rewarding for the player, even if their character isn't really necessarily advancing or getting stronger or not or not advancing too much? Because the power curve in D anD D, you get you start really weak and you get crazy powerful. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I totally. Th- I, I mean, I, I think that. I think that's totally possible. Like I, I, I played a game um, where I didn't give my players XP for like a year um, because we, we were we were playing a very uh, specific campaign line, and it was fine because like they still made progress, right? Because like things were just leveled for them, um, and they were like we were playing kind of an adventure in a small town, right? So everything kind of centered around the town, and they didn't go out of that, and they're protecting their town from things. Um, so I think as long as you level it correctly, of course it can be rewarding as long as you like have the right story, I would say. Mm-hmm. I have a hypothetical. I'm not a game designer, but I have a hypothetical way I would go about that, Jeff, is, is the character maybe had some sort of base level of skills, which are better than the average person, however you create that in a game system, whether any completely hypothetical. But you would get a certain pool of, you know, in what in Savage Worlds would be called bennies, you know, luck points, whatever that you could actually use to like boost your skills. Like, okay, in this particular scene, I'm going to be strong enough to roll that boulder out of the way solo, right? And then every adventure you get more of those, but you can also spend them. So you're in that constant economy of like your base character doesn't get much better, but your pool of being able to carry these, these bennies, right? And you could use them for whatever. It's like, well, in this scene, uh, you know, I'm going to cash in these things. So at the beginning of the next story, I'm the captain of uh, a troop of mercenaries, right? But if I have to spend those points, uh, you know, the mercenaries are going to turn against me because I haven't paid them in a week. Right. And so, and that sort of represents that, that fluctuation in their fortunes, just the way like Conan is sometimes a king and he's sometimes, uh, you know, just a, a lone guy who's been cast out into the wilderness again. So I don't know exactly, you know, the exact mechanics of it, but some baseline for the character and then some fluctuating pool that rec- represents how heroic they are at the moment would be maybe how I would, how I would address that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Hoy hits it on the head that like you need some type of progress, whether it's a pool or whether it's just like they're able to build something up or achieve something. But I think as long as you as a player feel like you're making some type of progress, like I think it doesn't being able to actually physically level up your character doesn't matter that much. Great. So we are starting to run out of time. Now, Liz, was there anything about Kothar and the Demon Queen you were really itching to talk about that we didn't get a chance to get to? Uh, we kind of hit on everything like i i just i enjoyed it i was very happy that like i got the chance to read this 
um, <laughs> and have some of this knowledge. So, oh, I'm good. Like I, I learned the word X chair. I had no idea what that was. I had to Google. <laughs> Wait, which word was it? X chair. Do you X- know what an X chair is, Jeff? X chair? Yeah, yeah there's in there twice. Is it like um is it yeah. like one of those director's chairs without a back? Something like that, like a folding stool? Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I, I oh wait, I can't. I was like, I'll show you guys a picture. No one can hear me. <laughs> but I was just like, wow, this X chair is very important to this guy. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll right. have to look that up. Right. Would you read more Kothar now at this point? Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if a steady diet would be, you know, that good for anybody, but <laughs> I would read more Kothar if I had a book club like this to talk about Kothar with. I would not read more Kothar for myself. Uh-huh. But like if I got to talk about this and like read out descriptions of how people are described, I would totally do it. <laughs> I, I may awesome. start reading some of his erotic fiction, though. This right. interests me. Well, we, we do have a book club that is prior to our podcast. So we would love to have you come and join our regular, you know, we just have people say, hey, I want to talk before the podcast. So, Oh, awesome. I'm down. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had two people we were chatting with before this episode. What? So that was fun. Yeah. 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 That would be great to talk to you more about that kind of stuff. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> Perfect. So Liz, if people want to find you on social media or find your works, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, so you can go to my company's website, angryhamsterpublishing.com. And we're also on Twitter at angryhamsterrpg and on Facebook as angryhamsterpublishing. Awesome. And Hoy, how can folks find us? Right. If you want to send us an email, you can send it to us at appendixnbookclub at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at, at appendix underscore n. Uh, we're on MeWe and Facebook as well. Uh, if you like us or just want to give us some feedback, uh, please do so on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. It does help people find us. And Jeff, how about our Patreon? Yes, you can go to um, patreon.com slash appendix and book club and show us your support there. And before this episode, as we mentioned, we did have a um, a patron book club and two of our patrons did join us, Adam Styers and Kurt Hockenberry. And that was a lot of fun. And we'd also like to give a shout out to a few other of our patrons, uh, Mason Coffey, Yorkus Rex, William Souter, Andy Action, Ethan Schoonover, Jeremy Harper, Daniel Stanley Raduski and Peter Martino. Thank you for your support. And um, yeah, coming up next, we will have episode 63 is on Lynn Carter's The Enchanters of World's End. And I'm sorry, The Enchantress of World's End. And episode 64 is on J.R.R. Tolkien's The Return of the King. So pretty cool stuff. Indeed. So Liz, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. Liz, so thank much you so much for having me. <laughs> All right. See you in the stacks. Read on. The library is closed. <laughs>